as our industry evolves and grows, our products are continually attracting new investors, including foreign investors, foreign institutions that are seeking access to high-quality, stable U.S. real estate investments through products that the IPA members represent. Hello and welcome to the REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borg from Quito, and today we're taking a closer look at the outlook for portfolio diversifying investment products. For that, I'm pleased to be joined by the Institute for Portfolio Alternatives, Anya Koberman, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs and General Counsel, and Gina Gomba, Vice President of Government Affairs and Associate General Counsel. Anya and Gina will talk about the sector and some of the big issues on the IPA agenda today. Anya and Gina, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Sarah, thank you so much for having us. We uh, really appreciate your time and look forward to this discussion. Great. So some of our listeners may not have a good sense of what portfolio diversifying or alternative investment strategies encompass. Can you briefly describe what comes under that umbrella and the role that they play in in a diversified portfolio? So alternative investments generally are a broad category that includes many types of asset classes other than your traditional stocks and bonds. Our IPA members, uh, we focus on increasing individual investor access to those uh, alternative investment strategies that have a low correlation to the equity market, which is part of a diversified portfolio. So these types of strategies will include real estate, public and private credit, and other real assets through investment vehicles, such as non-listed or also called non-traded, real estate investment trusts or REITs, business development companies, BDCs, uh, shorthand, close-in funds, interval funds, among other types of uh, investment structures. Uh, so, you know, beyond your listeners, there are many policymakers who don't understand the broad spectrum of alternative investments that are available to individuals. And so the IPA spends a lot of time uh, really on the ground in Washington, D.C., uh, both educating members of Congress and their staff and then engaging with our regulators who all play a very important and key role in modernizing the legal and regulatory framework that governs alternative investment classes. Gina, do you want to provide your perspective? Uh, Gina recently joined the IPA from LPL Financial, and I know she brings a wealth of perspective and experience to this role. Thank you, Anya. And uh, as you mentioned, coming from LPL Financial, a distribution partner, and before that, working as a state regulator for many years, education in this area is critical. Uh, It allows us to build and strengthen relationships uh, so that we can serve as a ready resource for policymakers on questions related to our industry. We also proactively seek opportunities to help government leaders understand the value of alternative investments, allowing us to explain how our industry is evolving for the benefit of investors. Thanks thanks so much, Gina. I I just wanted to sort of end your question, Sarah, by saying, you know, really this all comes back to uh, portfolio diversification. 
you know, today, Main Street investors are increasingly left in charge of their own long-term uh, and retirement investments, and they need the tools to build those portfolios so that they can endure and withstand any changing market condition. So, you know, of course, your membership, I, uh, the NARI membership, would be interested in the non-traded REITs. And these REITs provide direct access to long-term, and in particular, I should pause and say, uh, the new NAV REIT product provides direct access to long-term investment in geographically diverse opportunities across a range of product types. So office, industrial, multifamily, retail, self-storage, medical, or real estate debt. And so in, in uh, accessing these types of investments, not only are you getting direct access to um, these this broad range of real estate opportunities, but access to professional commercial real estate managers. And, you know, from an outcome perspective, when you look at the, all the different types of alternative investments the IPA represents, that alternatives can serve as an inflation hedge and all for long-term income generation. NAV REITs, for example, they have to distribute 90% of their taxable income to stockholders. So there's really a lot of benefits um, to having portfolio diversification, to having alternative asset classes. As you said, portfolio diversifying investments as part of your long-term holistic investment strategy. Great. How would you describe market fundamentals for portfolio diversifying investments at the end of the first quarter? And what are some of the key macro issues that you'll be watching going forward? That's a great question and a really important one and something we spend a lot of time thinking about at the IPA. New entrants into this space are some of the largest real estate managers in the world. So these large players are well positioned in their in their portfolios with assets in industrial and logistic properties, as well as in residential and multifamily housing. So when we look forward, we're thinking about the continued growth in the NAV share classes. And these share classes are designed for fee-based platforms. And so what we are going to continue to see, what we've already seen and we'll see in a forward-looking way is growth in the investment advisor channel as a result. We're also seeing a lot of new investment in the retirement workplace platforms. And another really interesting and growing trend is the growth and in interest in wealth and asset management opportunities internationally. What we know are that investors are looking for stability through the U.S. real estate market, especially in this an unstable geopolitical environment. So uh, to, to really bring this back, as our industry evolves and grows, our products are continually attracting new investors, including foreign investors, foreign institutions that are seeking access to high-quality, stable U.S. real estate investments through products that the IPA members represent. Great. And can you give listeners an idea of fundraising levels for alternative investments in 2021 and what the industry could expect to see this year? Absolutely. 
So we really get a lot of our information from Robert A. Singer and company data. So a lot of what I'm going to provide to you is from the data that they pull together. So in the combined market for non-traded REITs, interval funds, and BDCs, Blackstone has led the pack with $8.9 billion in overall sales so far this year. Um, the outlook for 2022 is incredibly bright. You have Blackstone, Starwood, and other large asset managers leading with a blockbuster year, um, just starting off already in 2022. So we're seeing sales overall topping $19.1 billion in January and February. So this is already on pace to beat last year's record tally of $70 billion. And, um, you know, what Robert A. Sanger um, had, and Kevin Gannon, who worked there, said, you know, it was a monster February, and that couldn't be anything but the truth. We don't have a final Q1 fundraising data yet, but based on the data through February, Sanger's predicting record fundraising this year, so projecting $45 billion for non-traded REITs which is compared to last year's $36.5 billion, and then $40 billion for non-traded BDCs, again, way above the $15.8 billion for 2021. You know, in total, we expect around about $125 billion in capital flow. And we really think that this, could, this space could grow into about a $250 billion a year market within the next five years, which is really exciting. Great. And we've heard a lot from the SEC in the last few weeks regarding regulatory proposals. For your industry, what are the key areas that you'll be focusing on? Well, you're going to hear a lot from us about education. We, um, it's because we're talking about alternative products, something policymakers and some regulators don't fully understand. The IPA has spent a lot of time this year and will throughout the rest of this year, uh, meeting with uh, our regulators at the SEC and at FINRA to talk about new innovations and current data about portfolio diversifying investments. So recently, we met with SEC commissioners Allison Lee, Caroline Crenshaw, and Hester Peirce, as well as Barbara Roper, who is senior advisor to Chairman Gary Gensler. Uh, we similarly met with uh, senior executives at FINRA to discuss the value of alternative investments, new innovations for portfolio diversifying investments. Uh, you know, Gina, maybe you could add sort of some of the upcoming um, events and things. What are we thinking about in terms of the regulatory agenda? Sure. IPA is gearing up uh, for our annual advocacy event in Washington, D.C. from May 4th through 6th, where we'll be hosting uh, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce as our keynote speaker. Um, we are continuing to engage with regulators and policymakers on significant changes in the non-listed REIT industry, um, particularly over the past decade, uh, such as improved liquidity, more transparency, uh, independent expert involvement in valuations, enhanced governance, and more investor-friendly compensation structures. Uh, in particular, uh, as Sarah, you noted, um, under Chairman Gensler, uh, the SEC has a sweeping regulatory agenda 
with open rulemakings totaling over 3,000 pages and 2,000 questions currently. Anya, would you like to speak to some of the issues that we're working on uh, with the rulemaking agenda? Absolutely. Thanks, thanks, Gina. And yeah, Gina is right. There is an incredible growing rulemaking agenda. And what we're um, seeing is really insufficient comment periods. So one sort of high level issue that we've been working on is addressing those comment deadlines. So just recently on April 5th, the IPA and our coalition partners sent the SEC a comment letter, which addressed what should be the appropriate length of comment periods in light of this uh, unprecedented volume. And that making the point that um, this, all of these comments will ultimately result in significant shifts in industry operations and practices. So that was something that uh, we recently sent to the SEC. Back in March, uh, the IPA submitted a comment letter on the SEC share repurchase disclosure rule proposal. Uh, we're also reviewing actively the private funds uh, proposal, which is due very soon, uh, as well as the landmark 500-page climate change disclosure proposal that was released on May 21st uh, that would require all SEC registrants, including non-traded REITs and non-traded BDCs, to provide uh, more information on how their operations affect climate and carbon emissions. And on the, the latter note, we, we also recently sent a letter into the SEC with a number of real estate trade organizations requesting at least an extension to the SEC's climate change proposal to really take the time to solicit from our members and other members information and perspective to be able to respond appropriately and thoroughly to the SEC. But in addition, you know, we've talked a little bit about the SEC and um, and FINRA. I, I'm I'm hoping we can also talk a little bit about you know the states, and uh, it's, that's certainly something that's on our minds. Yeah, and that leads into my next question. Um, you've got your hands full at the federal level, but what about at the state regulatory level? How active is the picture there? Thank you. Yeah, there is certainly a lot um, that we are thinking about on the state level. I think that states will be very active this year. Um, certainly, there'll be, we'll see a lot, we're seeing and we will continue to see a lot of movement on the uh, regulatory uh, space in both the federal and state side, given the upcoming congressional elections. So, for the past year, the IT has been engaged in an educational outreach effort, so to better engage the state regulators and the registration staff on alternative investments. Non-traded REITs, non-traded business development companies are registered and regulated both by the SEC and the state. So that's why those conversations are incredibly important. Um, we've been working uh, extensively in Ohio. We've recently met with the state of Washington. Um, and we're looking to meet, as well as Texas, and we're looking to meet with state regulators across the country. You know, engaging directly is, is important and should not be overlooked. Um, there are certain, there are certain states where we have unfortunately seen an overreach with respect to registered offerings and marketing materials. And that has not kept pace with modern day business practices. And, you know, this really creates a risk of states becoming less competitive 
of course, due to my earlier comments about just the inflow and interest in the alternative space and the importance of the alternative investment space. And we've also been really focused on um, activity by the North American Securities Administrators Association, or NASA. They have a corporate finance section that works on model proposals that will directly impact non-listed offerings, so non-listed read offerings or non-listed CDC offerings. And the chair of that section has recently discussed their work on updates to the REIT statement of policy. Sometimes we refer to this as the REIT guidelines that impact non-listed REITs or non-traded REITs, which governs REIT offering reviews in many states. And they've also discussed adding concentration limits and updating investor qualifications and suitability requirements. requirements excuse me. So this is going to be very important to stay um, ahead of and to be engaging with state regulators about as this section uh, continues work on these efforts and could really impact uh, the non-listed REIT space. Gina, do you want to talk about our engagement effort with the state? Again, building upon my previous multi-state education and outreach efforts, uh, IPA will continue to focus our engagement with leaders across the 50 states not only on how the REIT industry has dramatically evolved over the last 10 years, but also detailing the comprehensive regulatory review that already exists on these products today. Overall, it's important for IPA to meet with new state regulators as well as up-and-coming regulators within NASA to address the issues that our members care about. And we really look forward to connecting with all state regulators throughout 2022. Gina, you know, I wanted to just add one last point to the state, um, the state efforts that we're watching. One final area of top concern for the IPA was the structural flaws and biases of NASA's regulation best interest surveys, particularly around methodology and the validity of the findings. We were especially concerned about the lack of objectivity and an unstated agenda in the surveys because there was a strong focus on certain investment product types, including private securities, variable annuities, non-traded recent leveraged or inverse ETFs, which were apparently disfavored and deemed by the survey offers to be complex, costly, and risky. So, the IPA worked very closely with a coalition of other trade organizations to urge states not to move forward with additional fiduciary rulemaking or regulatory guidance in relation to the to Reg BI. And what we argued was that the SEC was best positioned and is best positioned to regulate and enforce that rule. Great. And can you talk a little bit about the other areas of interest for IPA, including emerging topics that may not be completely on the radar yet? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are a number of issues, both offensive and defensive, that are very much on our radar. So one topic of interest that we'll, we're seeing from our regulators is complex products. So in March, FINRA issued regulatory notice 2208. And this notice is FINRA's really, it's FINRA's most significant statement on sales of complex products since 2012. It covers the recommendation of complex products and application of Reg BI 
to those recommendations. What we understand uh, about the notice is, is that it primarily arose from FINRA and the SEC's concerns about options trading and self-directed accounts. Uh, however, because the notice focuses on all types of complex products, including industry-specific products, the IP is certainly going to be commenting. We don't think this is focused on our space, but the notice does ask about new or different standards that should apply to complex products. So it is important that we stay vigilant and also that we be responsive when we can. The fiduciary landscape is also critically important, and I'm going to turn that over to Gina to discuss. Absolutely. Uh, we continue to monitor uh, not only the SEC, but uh, the DOL and the states for further fiduciary action. We certainly expect something from the DOL in various states, but we also believe one of the most interesting developments on this front is the recent Robin Hood decision in Massachusetts, which may perhaps slow down those efforts. In that case, the Superior Court of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts issued an order overturning the Massachusetts fiduciary rule on grounds that it exceeds Secretary Galvin's authority under state law. Now, the court did not reach the constitutional or preemption issue, and the order is currently stayed um, while we wait for a likely appeal by Secretary Galvin. On the federal front, we do know that the SEC will be vigorously enforcing regulation best interest using examinations, enforcement, and guidance to ensure that the rule is fully complied with. Anya, would you like to take us through the midterm elections in Congress? Absolutely. And I will add um, to Gina's point that we also expect, at least NASA has indicated that they will be working on a model rule fiduciary rule proposal in 2022. So that is also on our radar. Uh, but to Gina's point, you know, as we're looking toward midterm elections, we are continuing our strong advocacy on the FERSA Parity for Non-Traded Reads Act, which is HR 3123. This is a bill that would expand the existing FERSA exception for small foreign shareholders of publicly traded REITs to small foreign shareholders of public non-traded REITs and really promote additional investment in U.S. real estate. So for these investors, and the reason that this is so important is that the tax and regulatory burdens of FERCTA remain a significant barrier to foreign investment in U.S. real estate and are preventing you know, needed economic support in communities across the country. Back in 2015, the PATH Act included provisions that would encourage investment into U.S. real estate by exempting certain foreign investors from FERPTA restrictions and increasing the amount of publicly traded REIT shares that a foreign investor may own before it would trigger taxation. But what we found is it unintentionally excluded public non-traded REITs. And this is a very meaningful change with a very low revenue impact to the federal government. Private estimates show that extending the FERPTA treatment of exchange-traded REITs to public non-traded REITs would reduce federal revenues by approximately just $36 million over 10 years, consistent with the limited federal revenue generated by FERPTA. And the proposal would make investment in non-traded REITs more appealing to foreign investors by relieving investors of this significant administrative tax filing burden. 
Another really exciting opportunity that the IPA has spent several years working on is including alternative investments such as non-traded REITs uh, in defined contribution plans. We know that defined benefit plans have included a diverse mix of assets in portfolios and traditionally outperformed defined contribution plans. So really, defined contribution plans without an appropriate allocation to alternative investments have an imbalance that hurts the returns of retirement savers. What we're very excited about is working toward a legislative solution that will facilitate the inclusion of a modest allocation of alternatives to enhance retirement outcomes for defined contribution plan participants. So this legislation would reaffirm that the inclusion of alternatives in professionally managed multi-asset class funds and the associated fees and expenses do not constitute by themselves a breach of fiduciary duty. And finally, we are also happy and look forward to supporting some legislation by Senators Cory Booker and Tim Scott and Representatives Ron Kine and Mike Kelly, uh, the Opportunity Zones Transparency Extension and Improvement Act, this bipartisan and bicameral legislation strengthens, excuse me, opportunity zones. It establishes really strong and robust reporting requirements, and it's really designed to support underserved communities. Great. Now, we've covered a lot of ground, but is there anything that we might have missed? I think there's one final issue that's been on our radar that we've spent uh, a, quite a bit of time over the last year, year and a half working on, and it's a familiar issue for our industry uh, that has resurfaced again is um, part of President Biden's recently released proposed budget. Uh, And one proposal in that budget calls on Congress to repeal the deferral of gain from like-kind exchanges. We certainly heard from our members other uh, concerning provisions uh, related to oil and gas and, and other issues. But like-kind exchanges is an important issue for IPA members. You know, while this is only a proposal and congressional leadership now will decide whether to include the proposal in any potential budget action, the IPA has resumed our advocacy to ensure that policymakers understand and are educated on the value and importance of like-kind exchanges for both investors, for business owners, retirement savers, and really the broader economic well-being of our communities. So that's really the last thing that uh, I think we, we may not have covered that is, is still an important issue for the IPA. Great. Well, Anya and Gina, thank you both for a very comprehensive review, and hopefully we'll, we'll chat again in the future. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.